Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And this is where we answer the cycling and triathlon related questions that you submit at, at uh, geez, forgive me, at uh, trainerroad.com slash podcast. Uh, you can also join us live every week. We record this usually Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. Today, it's it's uh, Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, Pacific. We'll get into why that happened very soon here. Uh, but you can join us live and you can join us at forum.trainerroad.com. Uh, that's where you'll see it'll be. The live stream will be embedded right there. All the conversation will be happening there. You'll be able to search through and find the show notes. You'll be able to search and find discussions from other people on the topics that we're talking about. It makes it all easy to find instead of it disappearing in Facebook and YouTube comments. Uh, so you can tune in live there and join us. Uh, and it's a, it's a great time. I guess the forum is kind of the first big thing. Then maybe should we transition to that? Uh, not forum. Ooh, okay. We're bearing the lead. Yeah. This is the bigger thing is calendar. Of course. So. Uh, Trainer Road, we have launched our new calendar product. And mm-hmm. this is so that you can plan your training out uh, so that you get faster. Yeah, yeah. It's been asked for for a long time. I've wanted to do it for literally, I think, I had to send an email to another like industry person like five, six years ago. Yeah. I've really wanted to do this for a really long time because not only is it useful what we have today, but it also opens up this entire new world of things that we can do. Yeah. So- I'm gonna. We have a whole stream that we did of it yesterday. Yep, and you can check that out. That's up on Facebook or on our YouTube channels. Uh, if you're driving, you know, listening to this as a podcast, then you can just tap that YouTube video and let it play in the background too, and then you can listen to it and grasp most of what we're talking about. But it was also a screen share, so you could see the actual features working. So uh, you can check that out on our YouTube channel. I just want to go over the high-level features. First one, uh, people have asked for this for a long time. When you add a training plan to your calendar... You can now switch the days around. Um, Super nice. It sounds kind of silly, but you can do it, and it's very nice. Yes. Once it's then on your calendar, you can drag and drop workouts around. You can push a whole week out. So if you were going on vacation or something, you can move. It's very, very flexible. Uh, you can switch out outside ride or train road rides on the weekend for outside rides. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you did an outside ride, it can re- just replace that that ride that you did. Um, you can so you can plan outside rides, but not only that, you can plan outside runs. Uh, swims or inside runs, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or what we call other workouts. So what I do is I keep track of like my weight training. Yeah, and or then skiing I, or exactly insert whatever activity you okay. do. Yep. yep. And so what's cool of that about that too is when you add a triathlon plan. Before what we had is in the weekly descriptions, it had like the per day uh, run and swim instructions, and this says you know run at this or do these kind of uh, mm-hmm. swim intervals these drills, those are now actual workouts that get put on your calendar. So when you click on that workout, you'll see the instructions and description right there on the, the workout. All you do is click on it. In the but calendar. it's not, it's like its own little, like, it's they're like these nice. little cards that we put on the calendar. So you're, if you're a triathlete now, when you add a triathlon training plan, they're all there. Then you can switch them around. You can have your runs, you can switch them around uh, to be on nice. different days. Uh, and it, another really co- nice thing that we have are the ability to add annotations. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like in Gmail, I guess it'd be like all day events. Mm-hmm. But how we use them is you can mark in things about your training or about your lifestyle that helps you adjust your training. Your subjective metrics, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one. There's a whole bunch of things. So this is what I use it for. I do it for travel, and I do it for sickness, 
and I do it for rest. Because yeah. instead of, I don't like a day that's just has nothing on it. I like to put a annotation that says, no, your goal today is rest. Mm. Um, what you could do if, like Chad said, you could write in your, your metrics or something. I have recently been sick. And what I'm trying to do is every day write in how I feel and then how tra- I respond to training on that. So then I can then look back and say, uh, you know, uh, what did I do wrong? Because usually it's always you come back too soon. I don't think I ever came back too late. Right. Like I, my first workout back, I'm like, I rested too long. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I feel it, too fresh. Mm-hmm. And the last thing at a high level is you can mark races as A, B, or C priority. So you can make, let's say you have, we just had Stetness race. You put down Stetness race on there. That was a B priority for me. I put in that it was going to be about five hours and I estimated the, uh, I put the RP in and estimated the training stress for me. And so because of that, it then shows up on my calendar, which is really cool. And then I can kind of. Uh, train for that. Yeah. The last thing that's cool is as you plan your training stress out. It's not the a, last thing that's cool, but yeah. Okay. So I'll mention <laughs> there, it right now. There are more cool things. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of like, uh, oh, it's so cool. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a TSS chart at the top. So yeah. as you plan your training stress out, especially for your A race, you can see it like evolve. And what. And if you were to do these workouts, what would be your training stress level? Mm-hmm. And it also includes, you can type in your run, swim, and air quotes, other TSS. Yep. So. Yeah, it's something we've been waiting for for a long time. I feel like it's the best training calendar I've used. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a company man. Lots of people have said that, actually. It's <laughs> true. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, by a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to mention that is uh, in the app. So when you load the app, you'll see your upcoming workouts now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an update for Mac. We had a, a snafu yesterday, but today that will come out where you can see your Mac upcoming work uh, workouts. There's one thing that I have to mention to people. If you were on an existing training plan, we had them like, I call them bingo card style training plans, where as soon as you did any workout on that one, it would start filling it in. Mm. You will have to re-add your plan on our website in order to get it. And the, it. the reason we did this, and if you just go, if there's a, a link in the app to be able to do this, or you go to the website and there's a, a link under your career for calendar. The reason we did this is because the way people do plans with bingo, a lot of times it wasn't... Uh, they didn't do them perfectly. So if you look at our data, it's not like you did them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, rest day, Friday, Saturday. It, as all plans do, they change. So we didn't know exactly where you were on the plan. And we didn't know if you wanted all the Tuesday workouts really did be on Tuesday. So what we've done is tried to make the pain a little bit easier or less, but you to be able to add that plan back to your calendar. Yep. So yeah. just be aware of that. If you open the app and you don't see uh, your training plan, just link to the calendar. It'll take you maybe... 90 seconds to add it and then you're good. Cool. Yeah. So check that out. Check out the live stream, check out the features there on trainerroad.com. If you have an active account, you'll be able to just click on it. It'll show up right in the sidebar or show up in the app. Uh, like we said, the Mac app's being updated right now. If you haven't activated your trainer road account, then you can go back through and check it out that way after activation. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty sweet deal. So you can find a bunch of chatter about this and a bunch of insight as well in, in the forum and just go to forum.trainerroad.com and you can check that out. Uh, the forum has been launched. That's another great thing. Yes. And the main thing behind this is we noticed that when we started the Facebook podcast group, well, first, when we started the podcast, that so many people had these questions and we figured that if we could connect them, then hopefully more people could get more answers to their questions, you know, help that kind of the community solves the problem, all of us together. And uh, it's been awesome. And that Facebook podcast group has grown rapidly. Uh, however, it's it's kind of a pain because you can't 
search back through and find something. It's difficult to keep track of a post. Uh, Facebook just seems to kind of do what they want in terms of filtering those things out. So it's really hard to find information. So uh, we built a forum that uh, uses discourse. So it's a really, really good um, forum platform to use. And then we went through and definitely made it our own. You can tag different com or different conversations in specific ways. You can search for keywords. You can tag individuals. Uh, you can get notifications from all of this. Uh, I even saved it onto my home screen on my phone, so it's easy to access. It works really well on your phone, actually. Yeah, it does. It's like uh, most forums are terrible. I mean, period. But then most forums yeah. are really bad when you're on your phone. But this one's perfect on the phone. So I am addicted. If you go in there, you'll <laughs> yeah. see. I'll go through Very and I'll accurate. answer. Like I'm trying to read all these questions. Yeah. It's uh. So there's, there's like, it's really cool because it's, it's been up for about two days now. I just looked, it's got 79,000 page views in two <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah. It's growing so rapidly. <laughs> I know, but it's what the best part is are people, not only are people getting their questions answered, but I'm actually learning stuff too. So I'm just looking at the top ones right now. There's one about low fat diets or, uh, low carb, high fat diets. There's one about, uh, macros. Uh, there's one about improving power match, what we can do there. Uh, mm -hmm. There's talking about our new features, shaving yeah. your legs, shaving your legs. Uh, <laughs> I put a post in there about our, our about my DEXA. So yep. I have every single DEXA that I've done with all the details, also with pictures of like um, how other uh, people look, mm -hmm. like famous people look when they took DEXAs, yeah. and then uh, how the DEXA relates to the Tanita and the Nokia scale. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Chad will be posting stuff in there when he finds something interesting or insightful in all of his studies. Yeah, Chad's been in there too. Um, yeah. yeah. For those that, and for those that don't, I don't know if people really know this, but you are very much a student of the game. You research a lot. Uh, you're constantly doing a ton of research. I thought he made it all up. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly though, I mean, a lot of coaches just kind of, you know, run on that stuff, but you're, uh, you're not, you don't do that. So it'll be cool to get some insight there. And then I'll be sharing all the different learnings and stuff. I said yesterday during the live stream that I I would be sharing a post about my weekend trip. And uh, yeah, I didn't share that because we were, I, it was an absolutely crazy day busy yesterday. Times, busy times. Um, yeah. But today is the busy. goal. So, um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's all new, but then there's another thing that's new and it's something that a lot of the podcast listeners have asked for, for a very long time. And that's the ability to get trainer road kit. What? Yes. It's finally available. Um, we're doing the kits through Jackroo. They have a really easy to use like store system uh, because one of the main reasons we didn't want to do it is because we don't want to turn into like a logistics business or like clothing apparel selling business Retailer, or software, right? We just want to do what we do best. Uh, so Jackroo takes care of that. And if you go into the forum, uh, so forum.trainerroad.com, you can check out, look for kits and then you'll find it. Yeah, just search for kits. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to uh, click through and, and and get the kits there. If you have any questions on sizing, they you can actually do live chat or send them an email, and they'll you know walk you through getting measurements to give you the precise size uh, to give you an idea. Maybe we can go around the table on which sizes yeah. we use. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm five ten and a half. That half is very important. Uh, and I have a thirty two and a half inch inseam, and I weigh about one hundred and forty seven pounds right now. And I would wear the small slim jersey and small bibs. That's what I wear. I'm 5'16". Um, <laughs> six, 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 six. Uh, 198 centimeters. Yeah. I'm 84, 85, I think 84 kilograms, 186 pounds. And I wear in the, the one-piece suit, it's a large. It is a little tight, like vertically, but that just happens. Mm -hmm. um, for bib shorts, I could either go large or extra large. And for jersey, I go large. And that fits... The large is tight on me. Um, I could go medium and have it be like 
I see every single, yeah. that, that, I don't like that fit. Yeah. And then extra large would probably be a little bit baggy on me. Mm. Yeah. Chad? Uh, six foot two, I think that's 187 centimeters, mm -hmm. about 85 kilograms, 185 pounds. Uh, my end seems 34. Waist is 32. This feels weird sharing all this. Um, <laughs> and I, I wear, I'm pretty sure. He's got Did beautiful hazel eyes. <laughs> Did I settle on a large, on the beach? <laughs> a large jersey? Yeah, you got I know, large. I know my bibs are large. We buy the same size stuff. Yeah, and I, I got to admit, it's fitting a little uncomfortably tight as I so maybe, train more. So, so maybe extra large. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah, if your shoulders are broad. And I find that, uh, wait, for the top or for the bottom? Top. Oh, okay. For me, I find like... I Probably I, still large, actually. I always like a little bit bigger bibs. Because I never feel like, because they're so compressive, they never get baggy. Bibs, yeah. But yeah. for jerseys, I always like to be more on the tight side. Same here. Right. Yeah, yeah. A I have a shout out. I, I, should, you, I should clarify. Hold yeah. on before you do that. I'm 70 inches, so about 177 centimeters. And uh, I think I'm at about 67 kilograms, 66 and a half sort cool. of for those that don't follow Imperial. Um, cross season is here, and there is the thermal one suit, one piece suit that they have. Mm -hmm. You see in that picture, I'm, uh, or in that trainer kits, you can see me wearing that kit. In the post you're saying. In the post, the yeah. Forum. Sorry, yep. on the forum, mm -hmm. forum.trainer.com. Search for kits. You can see a picture of me wearing the thermal long or like single skin suit, speed mm -hmm. suit one. Mm -hmm. I really like that one. And it's it's kind of got like a felt lining in the whole suit. Toasty. It's But when you do cross races that are like 30 degrees. Oh, yeah. 40 it's degrees. Perfect. Yeah, That's and what I'm saying. It's great. <laughs> I wore like a... You can see I, I put like knee warmers on over that, mm. and it's just perfect. Where other ways, I don't know, you start to get other base layers and stuff, and you're not, especially with cross, and it gets kind of uncomfortable. Mm. So if you do like to ride in the cold mm -hmm. or race in the cold, I that that's a good suit. Yeah. Somebody in the forum is asking for my chest and, chest and waist measurements like Chad provided. So I'm about a 29-inch waist and then for a Ooh, that's slim yeah 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 i'm light yeah and then uh for the chest i usually wear uh, in terms of suit jacket size because chest measurement always varies but suit jacket size i usually wear a 39 uh like a 38 or a 40 cut tailored down to a 39 so it should give you an an, uh, an idea of where we're at there um yeah so hopefully that helps there that's cool having that live interaction there in the in the forum okay uh so uh, first things, should we cover Stetna's race? Nope. Takeaways from We have another cars? announcement. Oh, we do. Yep. Go ahead. Okay. So this one <laughs> is... Sorry, John. Not as sexy. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's bittersweet, but we are going to have a pricing update or pricing raise. I'll just say how what it is. Yeah. That's going to happen on October 8th, 2018. So an important detail. Yeah, I'll... No, no, let's cover ahead. that first. An important detail is if you are... If you are signed up for Trainer Road right now, whatever plan you're at, it stays the same. You're grandfathered in. That won't change. So if you're a person that signed up with Trainer Road when we first started and you're seven bucks a month, you're still seven bucks a month, right? So it's it's not going to change for, um, for you. So when we do price increases, uh, I say it's bittersweet because it really does help us grow. And if you like what we're doing, we can build more stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but as I was going to say, if you are, if you keep your subscription active... Okay. You're in whatever price that you are in now. So if you're at a 12 bucks a month right now and you want to, as long as you stay with us, you'll be in there. The new price is going to be 15 bucks a month. So to go 12 to 15, the yearly price is going to go from 99 to 129. Mm -hmm. So if you do want to lock in, this is the week or this next week is a great time to sign up, especially if you were, um, if you're not an active member, you're thinking about Trainer Road. If you want to do it, do it now. Now's the time. And if you want to, uh, 
if you do plan on locking in, I think it makes sense to lock in at a yearly price. Because mm-hmm. if you do that, if I mean, if you're trying to lock in for a long time, the yearly price is less expensive. I think that if you do for 99, it's like 825 or something like that. So um, another question is, well, what if I'm on a monthly plan and I want to switch to yearly, but I don't get charged again until next February? Um, that's okay. As long as you do the switch now, we'll lock you in at that 99. Yep. So it, it, this is going to happen. It's not going to be the last time it happens. Every single company you know, used to buy soda for a nickel or something. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Inflation happens. Works. Everything gets more expensive. Engineers get more expensive, uh, hosting and fees and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, please spread the word, tell people if people are on the fence, get in now and, uh, it'll be awesome. So I just want to say it again, though, if you are a current member, we will never raise your price. Um, unless for some reason I get fired and somebody <laughs> think it happens. Let's make takes that not happen. As long as I'm alive yeah, let's and make in charge that of this thing, happen. it's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, okay. So racing time, uh, some takeaways that we have from these sort of things. Uh, should I share my, my mind first? Probably. Yeah, yeah we should yeah, do yeah. that. Cause it's, I guess it's less on, on key with everything. So I went up to uh, Whistler, British Columbia for an extended weekend, uh, for two days of riding in the bike park and one day in Squamish BC with, uh, the local there, Jeff Kabush and friend of the podcast, Who's that? previous guest on the podcast. He's a 15 time Canadian national champion, three time Olympian, uh, oh, that he, Jeff Kabush. Yeah, that Jeff Kabush. I think a six or five time BC bike race champion, Downeyville multi-time champion. He's, he's pretty legit. good. Yeah. He's, he's, he's okay at riding oh. a bike. Yeah. So, um, previous podcast guests as well. Um, you can see that I believe three episodes ago, but, uh, anyways, we went up there just for some mountain biking and I got completely thrown out of my element cause it was dumping rain and it's the Northern rainforest up there. It's just incredibly like, uh, just everything was completely soaked and wet all the way through. And I learned some things from Kabush about how to ride in the wet that I wanted to pass on to our listeners. Uh, so first thing that uh, I learned is that he runs compounds that are much more sticky and not as durable on his tires. Uh, so with Maxis, they have one called Max Terra. Then they have one called Max Grip. And Max Grip is like very gummy. Like yep. you put your fingernail, push it into it, and it's almost like you're pushing into a gummy worm, right? Mm-hmm. It's much more, doesn't last as long. So if you're riding in like the dry Southwest, like we do. You wouldn't the, use it. It would tear apart track. really fast. You could use it. It would tear apart really fast. Okay. And it probably doesn't roll very fast on that sort of terrain. Uh, but it helps a ton when you're going over greasy rocks and roots and in cyclocross, it would be super helpful if you are riding in muddy conditions to get a tire with a very grippy compound. It goes a long way. Uh, the other thing is he runs significantly less pressure. So whereas in the Yeti five, five that I was riding, I have 29 millimeter internal width stands, flow rims. That was that's wide. So really wide. Um, and then I run a 2.5 front tire minion DHF and a 2.4 DHR two in the rear. So uh, big fat tires. I at North star, I run 27 and 29 PSI in those tires. And that's a loose over hard and really gnarly rocks. Right yeah. mm-hmm. now up there, I ran 19 mm. and 20 PSI. Wow. Uh, so super low like two thirds. Yeah. But it was just what I needed to get the sort of grip that I needed. And Jeff runs really low pressures too down there or in those scenarios. So that was, um, when we were in Squamish and all the really, you know, the, the jungly stuff, that's what we did. did that helped it helped a ton. So like, once again, cyclocross, if, as if you have a tubeless setup, you don't want to go so low that you start burping, but drop that pressure as much as you can in slick conditions. Um, no, the, the next, the final day at the bike park, a bit of an aside, I did explode a rear wheel. So, but that was, I was back up to 27 and 29 PSI. The rain had just washed away the landing and there was just nasty rocks. And my real wheel hit 
so hard on a rock and it broke the rim and broke two spokes. So do over uh, there. Does the DHF have that other grip? It does. Too, but you weren't running it. No, I wasn't running it. I would have loved to have run that stuff. I yeah. bet it would have been even more helpful. Uh, the other thing that he said is, uh, you know, the looking ahead aspect is really important, like even more so important because you can find yourself in an off camber section where you're just sliding down and then you get too far down. But the big thing was, is he always looks for little spots where he can inject momentum. Basically like momentum is your friend and slick stuff, even though you want to stop and, you know, collect yourself. If you carry more momentum, you don't slide down on off cambers. You don't have to have the issues where oh, you're yeah. sliding and stopping. So momentum is your friend. And what he does is like in between rocks and roots, he looks for a spot, like, can I get a few pedal strokes in? And they're not like jamming as hard as he can, but they're strong, smooth pedal strokes to just carry that momentum. That's like 700 Watts for him. Right. Strong and smooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Strong and smooth. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's always about keeping momentum. And once again, tying this back to like cyclocross, that's huge. Uh, if you can go through like these off camber S turn sections that are so common in muddy conditions with cyclocross, if you can carry as much momentum as possible by smoothing out those turns and then finding spots to put in those pedal strokes, it'll really help. Um, and then the other key, of course, staying low, right? Low with your chest. Uh, yeah. that, that just helps so much on putting more front end traction on through there. the hip hinge, through right. the hip hinge. Exactly. Does Jeff hip hinge? Oh, like a pro. Yeah. I bet you Lee never taught him that, right? Uh, no way. Yeah. yeah it, it just, just happens. Mm -hmm. All the pros do it. It was yeah. so it's crazy follow, trying to follow him. And then uh, Marty Lazarski, another Yeti ambassador from Squamish, like on their home trails. These trails are so incredible. I think there was one for about 45 seconds. I was never, I was only in the air or landing and it was all <laughs> natural, just lumpy little stuff. So it was all us just bunny hopping from one spot to the next. It was incredible. So, so, so good. Jonathan is a nature geek and he falls in love. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. more than anyone I've ever met where... Oh, it's almost, amazing. it's at first I almost thought you were faking, but I know now it's not faking. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll drive somewhere and he's like, oh, we should pull over and take a picture. This is so beautiful, guys. Oh my God. Yeah, so I yeah. just imagine you in Squamish, like not paying attention to the trail and being like, oh, Jeff, look at this. Oh, it was amazing. Double yeah. rainbow. <laughs> oh my God. Double rainbow guy for sure. Yeah, we were stopping to take photos, but it's amazing to see how good those riders are at bike body separation. And what that, yeah. that isn't just- So like, what is that? Because- I'm yeah. bad at that. Yeah. So like, uh, so a lot of people, when they start out, they're very rigid because they don't want to get loose on their bike and they don't want to, you know, get, and honestly, if you're just loose on your bike, chances are you'll have a problem, but they have such a strong and, and stable platform through their legs and through their feet, through the bike. And then they're so light on their hands. That they're basically just standing on their mm -hmm. bike almost without their hands on the bars. They don't need to, right? Mm -hmm. Like the hands on the bars are more just like very low, like light rudder guiding like mm -hmm. a ship. But the terrain is just lumpy and rolly and turny. So if you are not separated from your bike, your body is lumpy, rolly, and turny. But they're, they just soak it up, and there are points where, you know, the tire is hitting the crotch of your pants, your rear tire, because you're so low in a section. Or there's a section where, you know, your, your helmet is hitting the bars and because you're so, you know, soaking everything up. Mm -hmm. But they just do so good at soaking everything up, keeping the tires on the ground and momentum. Yeah, on that note, it's when cool. we did the clinic with Lee McCormick, by the end of the day, there was one run. Lee went first, you went second, I went third. And I finished really close to you guys, and it was the first time I actually got in touch with that bike-body separation in, in a really, really really impactful way. It's amazing, right? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Here, and it's for turning too, it's huge. Huge. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna yeah. go through why I think I suck. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> triathletes out there. This if, is a good segue perhaps into the cross racing. We can talk about oh, that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. No, <laughs> well, we're talking about bike handling. I know, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, so triathlon, you have almost 
no, if you start as a triathlete, you do like no bike body separation. There's like usually right. no turns that are, your it's, it's yeah. very like, very low on turns. Maybe there's a 180, but as a triathlete, I've done it too. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going 180. And you just kind of turn on this like knife's edge. As, up. as a, as a proficient bike handler, doing a 180 on a TT bike is scary. It's just what it is. And then yeah. you move into road and road is, there's a little bit more, but I think only the real big bike body separation is when you're sprinting. So like, look at the Tour de France guys and look at that bike move below them, Yeah. but their body's yeah. not moving like that. That's huge uh, separation, but a lot of people don't do that. Or when they sprint too, they, the bike's kind of still and mm -hmm. they're just kind of like trying to pump. And then when you get into mountain biking, then it's... That is when, if you don't do bike body separation, like especially for a turn, I just got this maybe last winter where the bike is leaning, yes. but you're pushing the opposite pedal as the bike leans. And you get to a point where when it leans, your knobs hook hook in and then you turn. And it's like a, you're on yep. rails. Magic. And that <laughs> like, you wouldn't do that on a road bike, right? That much no, leaning. No, you wouldn't. But it's, uh, so that evolution as a triathlete, it mm. takes a while. Um, unless you're, I, I didn't even really think about it. I always thought I was going to fall if I leaned the bike like that. Like <laughs> the tires are meant to be this way and those side knobs, it's they, they grip feeling. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so if you're a triathlete or you have problems with that, try that and try going slow um, and in something grippy like uh, a, a parking lot. Totally. It's really, that's like a, a confidence booster first. And also it's something that we've talked about with like skills and, and technique and everything else for cyclocross, like get into a parking lot and do extremely tight turns where you're leaning that bike over. You don't have to be going crazy fast, just extremely tight turns. And it's amazing when you do tight turns in the parking lot and refine that technique, how suddenly you get to a 180 in the grass and it doesn't feel as tight. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's kind of helpful because otherwise you charge into that first turn on a cyclocross race and you're like, Oh gosh, <laughs> I really have to stop. Um, let's talk about Reno. Reno cross. Reno cross. So that is the replacement for cross Vegas. And it was during Interbike week here. We talked to Katarina Nash before that, um, about, uh, about the race and everything else and about how she performs with that. If you want, you can check that out on our YouTube channel. Um, the live podcast party we had tons of folks also came to train road HQ. It was really fun. Uh, but the, the course was non-technical. Is it fair to say? Yeah, it was either, it was half of it was very thick grass, at mm -hmm. least in the early races. And the other part was very dry grass over kind of hard. Yeah, it was but not of, technical. Yeah. The, the, I didn't find a single spot where I felt like it was like the sand was hard to get through. I got through once in practice and then in the race, didn't I couldn't get through it. wasn't it. the fastest way to go. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you ended up basically getting to the point where, uh, you know, a good rider could get through, but you were doing the thing where you like basically hop every time and then like just yeah. sink down. The men's elite for the sand, they would ride about halfway through mm -hmm. and then, but they do an effortless, like jump off before they <clears throat> stop. They would ride until their speed started to decline yeah. and then they'd hop off and it, keep going. Chad yep. saw me do this. I was the opposite. Like I would go and then I'd get stuck and then I would get off and I'd go, oh, you did it too wrong. Cause I thought I, I would. You, you were know, far from alone though. I, yeah, I know, but I, I know what I should have done, but yeah. it's hard to execute that. Totally. Yeah. So, um, a few things we, I raced just the industry race, uh, the wheelers and dealers race, they call it. Uh, you can actually check it out in the forum. We'll be posting the links to my rides and Nate's rides from this one. Uh, Chad's Chad bowed out on this race. Um, he heard his hip cheering from the side. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was 
he was drinking. Yeah. If you met Chad at Cross Reno, <laughs> someone just asked in a, in a Reddit post, if you ever have fun, like you should have came to Cross Reno. Yeah. Chad was having fun. Yeah. I know how to have fun, yeah. Yeah, it was you good. I knew how to have fun. Um, so I, I had a front row start uh, because a Toyota dealership was one of their sponsors and I bought a truck. Oh. So they pulled me up to the front, which is pretty no, sweet. No, that's not how it happened. Can I tell the real story? That is exactly how it happened. Okay, they said, is any of our sponsors from Reno, Dolan, Toyota? And John Lee goes, I just bought a truck there. And the guy yeah. goes, come up. And the whole... The no, whole group no, goes, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> make it seem like it was begrudgingly. He was happy to let me up. I know, but the whole group was well. like, well, you're course. not from Reno. Like, no. You're not one of the Dolans who owns the <laughs> no, thing. No, no. But it was great. I mean, it's just cross fun. It's industry race. It's not like world or Yeah, world yeah. Champ Back out of here with your negative vibes. Mate. That's <laughs> terrible. So um, it was funny. Front row start. Funny. Um, I got a good start and held the lead for most of the first lap. You can check out the race on Flow Bikes, actually, that, uh, that streaming service. You can watch the race thereafter. But I had a good start. And my, I just remembered about three quarters of the way through the lap. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, wait. You haven't been training for four months. This is probably going to go explode yeah, really soon. Deadness. And that happened. Same yeah. scenario. Yep. yep. That happened. But I flatted on the second lap going into the sand pit because uh, there was a curb. And I flatted there. And then it slow leaked for about a minute. And then after that, it was totally flat. But it actually, I just turned lemons into lemonade. And I just I kept pushing, uh, which was meager power at this point. But uh, it was really good training on learning how to be loose on the cross bike and kind of get, be okay with it, especially in the off camber sections in the grass. It suddenly made a non-technical course technical. And what I basically learned was the fact that you have to be with cross. If you keep the power down, you're better. And with a flat, the same thing. If you have a flat and you have to nurse it for a lap, keep the power down, not be smooth. Kind of like what we were talking about with Jeff, you can't be surgy, but if you keep that wheel spinning rather than just ease off on it, when you ease off, it likes to slide down off cambers and lose momentum, but you just... Makes Stay sense. on it. What tires did you run? Well, the Clement Loss LAS did not like them. I felt like they rolled quickly, um, for sure, but they were the least confidence-inspiring tire I've ever ridden for cross. So those are a file tread tire, and they were made for Cross Vegas, which is now dead, a grass course. They're made yeah. for grassy cross file courses. File tread with side and object. It varies yep. very small. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it a, does have them, for sure. Mm -hmm. yep. And they're, I think, 33s? They're 33s. And we had some here. I actually tried to put them on my bike last year, but you couldn't set them up tubeless. And I was like, I'm not going with tubes. Yeah, they, I think they make a tubeless version now, but the ones we have are not tubeless. Um, so you're running that one instead of a kind of, we had bigger gravel tires, but because the grass was so thick, that's another takeaway. We've mentioned it before, but um, riding wide tires and thick grass is extremely slow. Yes, it it's is. Hard. It slows you down a lot. Yeah. So like having that helped, I think in the terms of rolling resistance, but I really wanted to make it through the sand and impress Chad because he was standing right there. You know, I was really worried about that. So I, I went into the sand pretty hard and that's when I, my, somebody had kind of trenched out a spot just before and after, and I went straight into that and it just bam and it you know, running a tube, it's yeah. so easy to pinch flat. Mm. And I had forgotten about it. I should have been more ginger, um, but I, I screwed up there and flatted. So so I did two different races. I yes. did the four or five race and the uh, the industry race. Yep. And I rode two different tire sets. I actually had a wheel problem. So I had to switch at the end. So I, mm -hmm. I, I did my, in the early race when the grass was a little bit thicker, I had Vittoria Torino dries that were 40. Uh, 40, 40 up front? Yep. And, back, and rear. Okay. And those were, uh, and two people go, you can't go over 35. No, the, the race director talked to like the USAC, like national yeah. referee. And they're yeah. like, you can, as long as you have bar ends, you're fine. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, they said as long as it's like a non-championship race like this, um, I think that they can check it and they could enforce that rule, but in this case they weren't, and especially the wheelers and dealers race. There was an e-bike, full suspension, fat bike, towing a rollerblader, so I really don't think they care. But even the 4.5, they and said it was fine because I asked the race director before, I'm like, can I run these 40s because I don't yeah. want to get disqualified. Um, but anyways, the it's really – the. The tire is awesome, but that 40, I like in a loose over hard or gravel racing. Mm -hmm. And then I switched to the 33 for the industry race. Mm -hmm. And although the, the, the race was much faster at the time because the grass was more packed down, I rode in some fresh grass in another part. And it's just huge how much faster you can go. Yep. And I want to say too, those 33s measure 35s mm -hmm. on my 25, no, yeah, 25, no, yep. 19 internal diameter uh, CLX 50s that they were on. Same pressure both times. Uh, no, different Same. pressures for the for each bike. Yeah. So a little bit higher pressure when I did those 33s. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes I believe sense. I did 25 front and rear with the 40s and probably 28 or 30 for the 33s. Gotcha. So uh, you passed me in the industry race. Uh, I prefer it, to say beat you. Yeah, you, <laughs> but beat, no, no, I, yeah, you beat me. Yeah, a flat tire. Um, but you... Means nothing. The, so you were, I, we were talking about the starts. And like, you know, our group didn't have a whole lot of people in the wheelers and dealers race. Um, I don't know if your four or five race had more or less, but how did you find the starts? Like, uh, you know, we make a big deal out of it in cross that you have to get a good start. Yeah. You know? I, so the, the whole e-bike guy with the tow rope and the rollerblader, <laughs> yeah. for some reason they were lined up like third row, <laughs> which was, yeah. if you're going to be funny like that, just get to the back because mm -hmm. it messed up. I was there to actually race and a lot of people there to actually race. Yeah, yeah. He starts and he's like going everywhere. I was lined up right next to him. <laughs> so anyways, Wheeler Dealer's bad start. Great to have him. Should have been in the back. It's important yeah. when it, I mean, obviously it's important to get a good start because you can get stuck behind people and it's hard to pass people. You seem to move through pretty well though. Yeah, but it just takes more energy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, Way more energy sure. than having a clean line. You were just chasing my furious pace up front. That's right. It's, it's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, and then the four five <laughs> race, again, I was the masters 35 plus. I think there was there was so it was a group of twenty of us starting. There was a group of the the open four fives in front of us, and uh, the person there saying, "Yep, you guys are going to start thirty seconds after." So there's like a gap, and they lined us up, and then the thing went off, and the announcer's like, "Go thirty five plus." So <laughs> everyone went. <laughs> you know, no, it was supposed to. Yeah, the person yeah. who told okay. us to like Got wait it, yeah, yeah, was yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, so that was a bad start too. But yeah. Anyway, in the, in the forty five plus, I got second. So nice. that's cool. Good job. Um, and that was fun to move up through everyone. Definitely a power course. And I think with the whole race, I would have gotten fourth. So two, like if you would have put com combined, combined fields. both fields. Yeah. yeah. And if I start in the front, the people who won the, mm -hmm. they were so much faster than me that somebody got fourth out of 20 or second out of 10. So also part of the interbike week was Stetna Sierra Prospect, which is an enduro format on the road. And I think that the enduro format is basically how most people ride when they're with a group anyway, most people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually really enjoyable. But I've, after talking to people, it seems like roadies don't know how to enduro quite yet, right? Like, not quite like, yet. like it's, it's not. So for those that don't know, an enduro format is similar. If you're familiar with rally car racing, it's the same format in the sense that there is a loop or a point, you know, or a point to point, and you have to cover all of that. Uh, however, only portions of it are timed. 
And in enduro racing and just like rally car racing, you have to do it on your own. Uh, you can't have any sort of like support or anything else like that. You have to be able to fix the car or the bike in this case to get it from point to point. Not so much with this road stuff, but the point is it's a big loop and only portions of it are timed. Uh, and with mountain bike enduro guys, they are fantastic at really not pedaling hard <laughs> until it matters. And then they collect at the top, they hang out, they rest, they get ready, they eat food. And then when they're ready to go, they charge as hard as they possibly can on the stage. And then they wait for their buddies at the bottom. Then they all recollect and go back up to another stage, but it doesn't happen that way. Well, I've got, I've got road enduro tips. Okay. So the difference yeah, yeah. is between a, a regular enduro and a road enduro is that there are the time sections being in a group, a Peloton is extremely important. Yeah. Um, there is not an individual one you can roll through as a group of 40 and yeah. you can imagine a group of 40 on the road. is going to go a lot faster than just you. Yeah. Sure. So what, what happened is in the beginning, it started out with a big climb, Levi Lifehammer's there. Um, a whole bunch of pros, yeah. and I'm blanking Alex on Howes, yeah, Peter's dead now, obviously, yeah, yeah, are in there, and they're climb guys, yeah, and you wanna you wanna be in the fast group, right? Mm -hmm. So the first climb, I think it's only like 12 minutes, but I'm climbing at like 4.3 watts per kilo. Yeah, there's a lot of power. Yep. <laughs> Chad was just like, "Yep, see you guys later." Because yeah, I, I held on as long as I could, and it yeah. pretty much blew my day. Right. Yeah. So you want to be with that group, though. So the strategy is a little bit different. You don't want to go as easy as you can, mm -hmm. and then the pros are like, for them that is easy, right? right and they're right. going up. <laughs> and then the other part that was a little bit on this race, it's hard to. We, it was at Tahoe, so you couldn't really set the aid stations up how you wanted to. Mm -hmm. But the aid stations were after the segments. So we weren't really sure when we got into the segments and everyone's mm -hmm. like, are we in the segment or not? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. so our strategy with this, if, if you are in a big Peloton and this is, we're trying to get our product manager here, Brandon Need, to win the race. Which he did. Spoiler alert. Yep. Yeah. I was going to get to that. But. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, suspense okay. there. Yeah, the okay. Oh, he did. I remember. Yeah, he won. He won. Yeah, yeah. Um, is when you have that big group before you're on the segment, always try to be in the very back or slightly off the back. Because it's, you can then roll to the front of the group. That's not so hard to do. Then if you were to cross the line first and you go anything but, like you, all you can do is lose time. Yeah, and gain a few seconds that way maybe, yep. you know. And and you can you can gain like four or five seconds. Mm -hmm. And yeah, at a, it's all timing chipped. Yep. yep. And a competitive race like that, he did that twice. And he gained probably 10 seconds between those two sections mm -hmm. um, that were timed. Yep. But the final climb up Mount Rose, him and um, Sam... Sam Bassetti. Bassetti. From KHS Elevate. Yep. They climbed Mount Rose, and they finished at the exact same time. Yeah. <laughs> now, Sam Bassetti, on the first uh, segment, he got a broken spoke. But yeah. if... So he, he kind of was out of the whole thing. Yeah. But if it wasn't for that, I think Brandon would have won just because of his rolling from the back to the front. Yeah. So it would have been... You know, yeah, that, yeah, that five tricky. seconds he could have done that just mm -hmm. because he did the maximum amount of time because Sam was in that same group as Peloton as us. Yep. And no one started farther back from Brandon. And Brandon was always the first one to cross the line at the at the end. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, this is very, only if you're super competitive, does yeah, this yeah. matter? Yeah. But it's kind of cool to think about that strategy. So I'm going to step back and say that I feel like the races, these enduro road races, I feel like that's the format that most races should have, honestly. It's 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 great. I think it's, fun, yeah. it's fun. It's natural for everybody. You get to be more social. <clears throat> And then you also get to hammer it like people like that. Um, but I think that they should have a section where it's an aid station and everybody has to stop at that aid station. And you check in with a chip because that forces people to stop. And then after that, you should have like 200 meters until the stage start. And then, so then you can all roll out then and then cross that line and then start the next stage. And then some sort of light aid station, if you need at the end of it. Um, but you know, there's no need to necessarily stop at the end, but 
I think that if they did that and they forced people to kind of stop like that, it'd probably level the playing field a bit. It would make it so that people that do get spit off in one section can regroup. Can yeah. regroup. It also like, there's no point in pushing really hard through the non-stage or non-timed portions of the race if you have to stop before the stage, right? Or hopefully that should discourage that because the reason everybody was pushing so hard in the beginning when it wasn't even a time stage was because they didn't want to lose the fast group in the front. So I get it, but at the same time, everyone like, you know, there's like that shirt that says, don't be such a roadie, right? Like, (laughs) like I feel like people could enjoy the day even more if a little bit of that enduro format was maybe forced on there because of the course. Yeah. It'd be cool. Sure. So really cool idea though. And kudos to Peter Setna for doing a race in our backyard. Oh, too. Uh, Peter actually had the fastest time for the whole thing. Yeah. He destroyed it up Mount Rose, yeah. but he disqualified himself. It yeah. was his own race. Good man. So Brandon Neen did win. Yeah. And, uh, as you already told us yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. but that, that's pretty cool. He beat Levi Limeheimer up Mount Rose, which yeah. is, I think that's, I know Levi's not at peak Tour de France fitness, <laughs> yeah. but it's just yeah. cool to say, yeah, right? Yeah. It's very and cool to say. Kudos to Levi because he's the one that organizes this, does a lot of the organization behind it, and to Bike Monkey. They're the ones that do Levi's Grand Fondo and other races as well. So it's a good event. Highly recommended. Yep. Super cool. Um, okay. Uh, we are going to get into questions, I promise. Okay. Uh, the other thing we're that we need done. to cover, though, is Kona's coming up. That's Ironman World Championships. Uh, all three of us are decidedly not doing that race. Um, <laughs> however, we will be there. Uh, so we're going to be there from, I guess, that, that Monday until the race day, and then we're flying out the next day. Uh, so first thing I want to say is if you are going to Kona and you are racing Kona, please shoot me an email, Jonathan at trainerroad.com. Shoot me an email so then we can get in touch with you guys. We looked at the entry list and versus like, you know, we cross-referenced that a really big percentage of people that have qualified for Kona, it looks like we're, we're verifying it, but it looks like our trainer road users. So please send us an email if you've qualified for Kona. Also, if you're going to Kona, jump into forum.trainerroad.com. If you're not racing, let us know. Uh, we'll kind of get a tally and try to organize something. Uh, maybe if there's enough folks, we could do something, you know, like a happy hour or something like that where we get together. But you're all welcome to join us. Uh, we're going to do kind of a mini training camp when we're there, mm-hmm. which is going to be pretty fun. But not sponsored by Trainer Row. We're actually just going to get together right on the road. Yep, that's There's it. There's no legal responsibility. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not sponsored by Trainer Road. It's not a Trainer Road training we're camp. We're riding. So just say, ride we're, with us. we're going to be welcome. at these spots and you can join us. Yeah, yeah. Before we start signing waivers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we are going to be riding on, and I'm just going to run through really quickly. And if you know Kona, you'll know these routes. And if you don't. You if you won't. don't, you don't. Sorry, but uh, Tuesday, we're going to be doing the Captain Cook loop. It's a common loop. Uh, on Wednesday, we're going to do the Coloco, or we're going to be climbing Coloco Drive, which is, for those who don't know, it's, I think it's in 12 miles, you get 4,600 feet of climbing. That's a lot. Um, 14, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and then uh, we go to, we're going to do a Waimea loop. So that's starting in Waikoloa, going to Waimea and back. It's not a ton of climbing. Um, it's still... There's no, really no way to not get a lot of climbing. And the final day, this is going to be Friday. We're going to do a Captain Cook loop again. We might do a flatter one It'd or be easier a truncated one. version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the race is the next day. And even if you aren't racing, I swear that's like a, a lot of a TS, no training stress, just watching that. So, yeah, so we're looking for rides between probably two and four hours. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, and, and we plan to depart at what? 7am. 7am. Yeah. And so this will all be in the forum. Uh, our producer, Nick is going to put these exact links that's in our spreadsheet into the post for this, this podcast episode. episode. Mm-hmm. And I think we can do another post. separate one just for people coming to Kona that we can do it. Also, um, if you let you know, if you let us know that you're going to be there, uh, Let's give people swag. Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be bringing over, I think, an entire bag just dedicated to that. So T-shirts, hats, 
bottles. Bottles. Probably not mugs. Mugs are kind of heavy. Mugs are kind of hard to carry. Yeah, but yeah. bottles, hats, and T-shirts. Yeah. yeah, they'll bring it all. We literally have, I think, 2,500 bottles, so we've got to get rid of them. We do. Like, we bought them to give them away. Oh, man. People are going to be sending messages like crazy now. you got to come to Hawaii. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, with that, now let's get into some questions. Thank God. Okay, good. Cool. Uh, this one's from Jared. He says, I have a question about training in the aero position. I'm a triathlete, so I primarily race there and perform the majority of my long rides there. However, I'm curious if there would be a benefit to doing my hard interval work in the aero position. I just recently performed the new ramp test in the arrow position. And after seeing it suggested in your article, or after seeing it described in your article, uh, and for the newest test it says my FTP came definitely came back lower than I expected, but it got me thinking, I know that spe specificity of training should dictate training mostly in arrow, but you can generate more power and stimulus to the muscles in an upright position. If I start doing hard intervals in the arrow position, would I be shortchanging my results by not applying as much power as I can upright? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as I have a physiology background, but I'm relatively new to cycling. Uh, he adds, he says, obviously the arrow position has a ton of benefit in, in a triathlon. I just don't know if it's a good idea to use it for those more intense intervals. I'll probably repeat the test in an upright position soon to see the difference. I'm guessing that the upright score would be more beneficial to my training in general, but not sure. So please let me know if I'm wrong. Yeah, this is a, <clears throat> this is a topic we've discussed and kicked around quite a lot. So it's not something we take lightly. We don't just throw a quick solution at it and just you know, say, that's, that's it. We're right. We figured it out. We've actually given this a lot of thought and, and it kind of boils down to training the position versus training the physiology. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about training the position, that's, that's the specificity that, that, uh, we're talking about Jared's talking about. Yep. So, and, and that's, that's the crux of it. That's what we have to decide, you know, where, where do we, where do we draw the line? Um, the, the physiology, you know, if you, if you just attack the physiology, sit upright, try to maximize the adaptation, it, that makes sense, right? That you're going to, you know, utilize a higher percentage of your oxygen uptake. So it's a greater stimulus, therefore derives, you know, with proper recovery, a better adaptation, but you know, you can be, take, cross-country skiers, for example, they generate massive oxygen uptake because they're, they're employing a lot of muscle mass in a very specific manner. Does that mean that will make them a better bike rider? Yeah. Mm. Probably not because it's, it's very not specific. So the muscles that are doing the job cross-country skiing aren't the muscles that you're going to employ on the bike. By that same idea, the muscles you apply in an, or you're utilizing in an upright position versus one in an arrow position, it might not translate as well. Mm -hmm. So we, it's really hard to say one is absolutely better than the other, but we are leaning towards specificity. If you're going to have to race in this position, it does make sense to train in this position. If you're going to do high intensity efforts in this position and it comes at a lower power output, but that power output is specific to the position you're going to use in a competition, that makes sense to us. Mm. So especially if you're a triathlete, where it's only yeah. that. Yeah. I would say if you're a 40K time trialist and that's your A, two. Maybe not though if you're a, yep. let's say you're a road rider. Racer. And you know yep. your your TTs are going to be yep. part of it. But totally. Yeah, right? Then maybe on that I would be sitting that's up. That's a strong case for, for absolutely sitting up and maximizing the physiological adaptation, not worrying so much about the specific position. Because you're going to be using that on all your road racing. Right. right. Yeah. I think t uh, discussing the delta that he would have between the – Upright, yeah. And so that's position. Let, let's we'll get to that. Let's okay. first talk about. I mean, just keep in mind what your goal is, and, and your goal is to become a faster triathlete. You know, it, it's to maximize race performance. So you know, how, how do you you have to decide what's what's going to work better? And again, we lean more towards um, this more specific training in the more specific position, even if that's your higher intensity workouts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So so we're looking at. Uh, 
the, the line is between, you know, sitting higher and generating more power, but that does require more energy and inspires more fatigue. So there's even that to weigh against it. Totally. Whereas if you stay lower and you're more arrow, you utilize less energy, that's less stress on the body, which could lead to a stronger run in the case of a triathlete. So yeah. you're saying too, is like, you might actually put out less calories use like less glycogen. Yeah. Just a less of a toll on your body in yeah. general. Which is yeah. just huge in triathlon. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. important. So- we did, however, kind of put a hard line on where we say, you know, you're you're good. There's a difference between your upright FTP and your aero FTP. Um, don't sweat it unless mm -hmm. you've reached this point. And we feel like 5% is a pretty reasonable uh, difference between the two. If there's a 5% discrepancy between your upright position and your down low position, you're probably fine. This is something that you can uh, probably overcome by the time, you know, you work through the BB, the base build and specialty cycle. Which is how we separate our training plan mm -hmm. uh, into three sequential phases. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And if, and if, you know, you don't, and that 5% discrepancy stands, it's, it's what we consider to be minor and not worth concerning yourself with, but you push above that. And that's when it's probably time to start considering, you know, what's wrong with my position. Maybe it's a little too severe. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working way too hard for, for the actual speed I'm garnering. You know, it's, it's a, it's a really tough physiological toll The the power's there, but man, it destroys me or the power is just not there because my position is just too harsh. For triathlon, you might have a really closed off hip angle too, which can be pretty t difficult to just get out and run based off of that too. Mm -hmm. And what some triathletes do to overcome this is you, <clears throat> excuse me, you build into your position. Yeah. yeah so instead of just going slamming it down and you see you have like lost 12% power, mm -hmm. you start to lower it slowly mm -hmm. and you like, as you adapt um, and you say, and you get better at it, then you just come down like you know, two and a half or mm -hmm. five millimeters. We did this very thing with the 40K TT trial. I started with a really high stack on my aero bars and then each week I would take out five millimeters and then and then see how that went. And and, and that's even pretty fast each week. And it was, and that's what I found too. I, Cause I, I came down 15 over the course of three weeks and then I had to come back up. Yeah. And I feel like if I had done that slower, I probably mm -hmm. could have managed that 15 millimeter drop if I had taken a little more time uh, getting, getting used to it. If you had a lot of time, I would do it like, five millimeters every year. Yeah. Like seriously, yeah, like if, if you got like a four year plan to qualify sure. for Kona sure. in four years, you drop uh, 20 millimeters. Yeah. Like, it's a significant amount, but it mm -hmm. won't have a profound effect on your training. Exactly. And maybe there is a, you'll, then it's easier too to notice if you have a huge, like a inflection point where you mm -hmm. drop off, mm -hmm. but don't feel like you have to rush it. Um, it the position it's so, if you, on triathlon, there's the really fast people. They can stay in position. Then you go back in the back of the pack. So many people are sitting up because they're uncomfortable. Oh, yep. totally. Like, and you are going, it would have been so much better to have like huge spacers and just stay arrow that whole time <laughs> mm -hmm. than to be super, like super pinched off and then ride half the race sitting up. Or to even stay low the whole 100%. race, but just become increasingly uncomfortable and watch your power just Oof, slip, yeah. slip, yeah. slip. And you're, you're, Perceived exertion, just climb, climb, climb. And the run, terrible. The run mm -hmm. gets so hard. Oh, I can only imagine. Actually, you you are really excited for the run. <laughs> I think yeah, I've yeah. mentioned sure. this before, but about five hours into an Ironman back, your bike, you're like, you know what? I'm really a runner. Yeah. Like I'm not a biker. <laughs> this a, run is going to yeah, be the yeah. thing. I'm ready to get out, get yeah. off this but, bike. Yeah. So, so Nate um, touched on the fact that if you're going to make changes to the bike, it can be a really gradual process. If you have the luxury of time, same with the, the actual work or uh, using the workouts to adapt to your position too. You don't have to, you know, if you have a set of three 20 minutes, uh, sweet spot repeats, you don't have to get down there for 20 minutes and just make it last regardless. Mm -hmm. Get down for a minute, sit up for a minute, you know, maybe, maybe break it down into, uh, 
di- different uh, spans of time. So he's, you know, you minute, minute down, minute up, minute down, minute up, then that grows to 90 seconds down, 90 seconds up, et cetera. I mean, you can play totally. with that and get used to longer durations in that position. And then when it comes to the more intense stuff, like if you do decide to do your VO2 max work, 120%-ish intervals in that low position, maybe you just start the first 30 seconds in that low position and then you mm-hmm. come up when you're starting to run out of air or you finish in that low position when you're motivated by the promise of the end of the interval. So there are a lot of different ways to gradually ease into sustaining that position and still putting out close to upright FTP. Yeah. We were talking about, that's called like a first level bailout. So obviously yeah. we would prefer you to stay in arrow position the whole time, but if you can't do it, uh, don't turn down the intensity of yeah. your position first. Exactly. Yes. And then work into that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then after that, maybe take a quick back pedal if you need to. If the back pedal doesn't work, then maybe you need to turn it down. Or you could skip an interval, depending on what we've talked about this a, yeah. a million times. A lot of but, different ways to. Yeah. Yep. If it's Bill Atz, you might be skipping a interval yeah. back pedaling. Single. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, ready for Anyaki's question? Uh, yeah, man. Next one. Cool. Let's do it. Uh, he says, hello, I'd like to have a plan with two peaks, one at the end of March and then another in July. How should I plan this considering I want to start training in September? So this is a topic that we've covered uh, plenty of different times, but it's a topic that definitely you know visits or I should say merits some revisiting because a lot of people are planning their year right now, just starting into their training, that sort of thing. Now that you have calendar, it's actually really easy to do this sort of thing, uh, train roads calendar. So you can throw things on um, and adjust them th- from there. So uh, first thing I would recommend in Yaki is that you tune into episode 142 because we talk about how to peak twice in a season. So that's very appropriate for what you'd ask. Then on our blog, we have a bunch of different articles. So one is four ways to train between peaks. So we really talk about what you would do between those peaks that you would have in your season, which is really in the end, kind of what you're getting at here with your question. Um, The other blog post that we have is how to recover, maintain, and build fitness after completing a full training cycle. So after you go base build specialty, it covers some options that you have there. And finally, how to prioritize your races and build a seasonal race plan. We talk about different options with multiple different A races or something like that. So these will be in on forum.trainer.com. There's a post about this episode Mm -hmm. and the links to these blog posts will be in there. So that makes it a lot easier. And what episode number is this, Jonathan? This is episode 176. So if you just type in 176 in the forum, I bet you'll find it. Yep, absolutely. So uh, all of those things will give you a a whole lot of information, but I guess what we can do is kind of like, I guess, hit the high notes right now or or the the high level stuff on this. Uh, He has 12, well, first of all, he has enough time to do a full base build specialty leading into peak one. Mm -hmm. And then he has 12 weeks between one to the, you know, one A race to the next, which is a significant amount of time. I think it's an ideal break mm-hmm. in between peaks because mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, whether you're doing like a regional competition and then setting up for a national competition or a national competition, setting up for a world competition or just, you know, a half Ironman setting Sounds up. Sounds like a, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just a half Ironman setting up for a full Ironman. It's nice to have that big of a gap in between because you can, you can really reshuffle your training based on how that that earlier event goes. Mm-hmm. And you can bring a whole lot of fitness to that earlier event and then build upon it for the second one. And a 12-week gap is almost perfect for that. How yeah. might you reshuffle your fitness based on the, fir- the first event? Well, if you just recognize, like, like I, uh, for the time trial challenge, I think I went a little heavy on the aerobic capacity stuff. And having done the first time trial, uh, or having done the 40K TT, I recognized I needed to spend more time in position. I needed to do more muscle endurance yep. work. I mean, there were I would have 
definitely reprioritize the energy systems I was hitting. As a road racer, you might say, oh, you know what? I'm lacking an, on anaerobic power because I yep. got dropped on a really big yep. surge. So I'm going to spend a little extra time targeting, you know, yep. my 30-second bursts. Totally, yeah. yeah. That, this is kind of like how sea otter and nationals falls for me. It, it's it's common, yeah. And it may That's not great. be exactly 12 weeks, but if it's 8, 10, 14. So this is what's so cool about the calendar is let's say you did have yeah, an anaerobic problem. Mm -hmm. Then you could, uh, I would clear out my, or like delete a plan that I had between there or clear out the weeks. And I would probably go into maybe short power build mm -hmm. and add that in sure. or go into like criterium or something like that. Or if and you have a plan you like, just pluck out a workout yeah. that you think is less vital for a workout that proved to be a weakness. Or yeah, 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 yeah. You, I could Super take helpful. out my Tuesday workouts and make sure they're all anaerobic mm -hmm. totally. stuff. And then another benefit of the calendar, not not, not trying to push the calendar on no, you guys so please hard, push it. but, but you, can, <laughs> please you can see the, the TSS visualization up top. And when you plan the yes. season out, you can see how it pushes you up to a peak for this first peak. And then you'll see your bit of a decline. And then you'll see where if you, you know, do the right or how you structure your training over the next 12 weeks, you can actually visualize where that next peak will bring you. And ideally... And I don't know why you'd go any other way. You you want to see a higher peak, mm -hmm. and you can structure that just so much more easily when when we can actually see it. It's see not it, Excel yeah. Spreadsheets, yeah. yeah. You could yeah. do it in Excel, but it took forever. What I found too, what I was doing is, um, if if you're doing it right, and this is what the plans do it. It's like this gradual increase, mm -hmm. and then it comes down. It's like Mine a wave, is, and then a bigger wave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the waves. Mine are like these spikes where it's like 300, <laughs> and then it goes, oh, here's a week of 700. Yeah. And then it goes back down and to you 300. Explode, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. with travel, I try to like pack things in. Yeah. But that's so, I think that's why I get in this constant pattern. You're of, outpacing your body's ability to exactly. adapt. And, and it, it usually leads to illness. I get uh, impatient with myself, Yeah. right? Yeah, I just yeah. want more. But this is a good way. I've actually checked myself. I've, I think I've even, when I walked to the counter, John's seen me do it a lot of times. I'm like, oh, I should not have this yeah, big yeah. spike. Totally. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess uh, focusing in on the time that you should, or how you should trend things between something that's worked for me personally with a 12-week gap before is going back and doing four weeks of base. Mm -hmm. And then after I do that four weeks of base, then I have enough time to fit in a whole specialty plan. I like that idea very much. And it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're a little burnt, then maybe you make it traditional base and you keep the intensity low for those four weeks and you mm -hmm. let your body kind of realign. Mm -hmm. um, Otherwise, you know, dive into four weeks of one of the sweet spot plans. I mean, yep. just just a four week chunk out of that is a really good way to kind of refresh, get away from full intensity and specificity, and just dial it down and prep yourself for what what's to follow, which can be another build phase, could be another specialty totally. phase. But you have eight weeks to work with, and that's you know perfectly aligns with the duration of most of our plans. Yeah, it's a really good way to do it, and I've found really good results with that. Like it, it really helps, especially. So like I guess just sharing what I'll be doing this year is I'm going to be doing full base build and then, uh, or actually I'll be doing a base and build up until April. And then at that point, I'm actually going to, uh, be switching over and just doing a bit of base and a specialty. So mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great approach. Hopefully it's a, it's a fun way to go about it. It's really motivating too, because you can see what you got wrong mm -hmm. or, or, you know, what you nailed on that first event. And, and that's so much more information to work with going into that second one. You're not going into a, a single season peak, just hoping that everything pans out the way you planned it. Yeah. So it's a, it's kind of a, kind of a uh, dress rehearsal. I love how jazz chat is about calendar. Heck oh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's I awesome. wish I'd had it when I was coaching. Right, exactly. Um, the next question is from Johannes. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, he says, Hey, I'm a dedicated podcast listener and I could listen for hours on end to your detailed nuanced answers to your questions. Cool. 
I'm glad you know, honest, cause there's a lot of hours of it. So awesome. he says, keep it up. Uh, my question considers periodization or block periodization. I'm using air quotes around block periodization. I'm not currently a trainer road user. So if you reference uh, your training plans, please state what parts of the plans you're at, you are after. We'll keep it devoid of that, or at least just loosely referenced. He says, I'm currently at an FTP of roughly 300 watts, so about 4.3 watts per kilogram, uh, and a pretty high VO2 max of 72. That's really high. That's high. That's mm -hmm. really, really high. He says, in my latest test, and my volume is about six to nine hours a week of training on the high end in the summer and closer to the low end in winter. He says, last winter, I did block a block periodization for my interval work that looked like two weeks of threshold focus, one week of VO2 max focus, one week of recovery. Low intensity work was kept roughly constant throughout the entire block. He says, I have two questions. Number one, what are your thoughts on this block periodization as a whole? I'm considering making the block a bit longer for this winter, say five weeks instead of four, while keeping the recovery at one week. I'd mainly just be adding more threshold work early in the winter and moving over to more VO2 max work closer to racing season. Do you want to cover that first yeah. before we get into the yeah, next question? Cool. Um, so block periodization is just, it's, it's kind of doing what we do already, but it's just doing it in smaller chunks. <clears throat> so you could look at the, the base build specialty cycle as eight week block periodization. Um, where it differs is block periodization gets a lot more focused at different points in, in the, in the training trajectory. So rather than focus on, you know, VO2 max and anaerobic and some steady state or uh, muscle endurance over the course of a week, every week, you target one of those things and simply maintain the others with just little touch-ups. So this allows athletes to, to really target something that maybe they're, they're lacking in. It allows high-level athletes to really target things that they can't get enough stimulus by training concurrently and, and hitting all energy systems, an opportunity to target just one and improve just that one. Mm -hmm. So it has purpose, but it's just like anything else. I mean, it's just another training methodology and, and, and it can work for you, but we've said it, or I've said it a few times, it's just like throw, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. Some things prove highly effective for some riders, some not, not, not so much for others. And it comes down to a lot of variables, largely how much time you can commit, um, the level of, uh, of uh, performance you've ascended to at that point. Um, it, it, it's a workable methodology, though. <laughs> the trick is, is maintaining the other energy systems while you're focusing on one. And that's the benefit of concurrent training because we hit everything each week and we gradually, you know, lift, you know, the, the whole rising tide thing. We lift one thing and something else benefits from it, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. and everything kind of comes up, you know, maybe not at the same rate as if you were to block it, but when you block it, only one thing sees that improvement. And that can be pretty tough too, because I've found that if you're just like just a week of VO2 max work nonstop, it's really easy to get really fatigued pretty quick. And, and you can, it's a lot easier to burn out. But like mm -hmm. before I took off for Italy, I didn't have enough training in my legs. I knew it. So I did a two week block of sweet spot work. And mm -hmm. man, I got to say it saved my butt. There were, because those <laughs> were long days, just grinding on the pedals up long steep, very steep at times climbs. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what I needed. So that's all I targeted for yeah. that period of time. And it worked. Right. But by the end of that two weeks, I, I didn't want to do any more of that. <laughs> I really didn't even want to go do the rides that I did do. I, I wasn't, I was a little burnt out. I overdid it a bit. But the fact is I got a nice quick bump yeah. by focusing on that one thing. Yeah. At the expense of others though. I mean, I couldn't have sprinted at that point to save my life. One question he has in here too is saying he's going to move from that four weeks. So he's going to do three weeks on one week off mm -hmm. to five weeks on one week off. Mm, that's risky. It's that's what I was going to say. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like me. <laughs> let's does, just, right? let's just yeah. do that's more. A, that's let's a big jump. More. I mean, you've shown yourself that you can handle yeah. three with a week recovery promised at the end. I'd, I'd be hard pressed to go any more than four. I'd probably just tack on a couple workouts and see how that went. I mean, that's, that's a big leap. Mm -hmm. So what so you're saying is cautious. maybe instead of adding that extra week, add more volume in those four weeks 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can more subtly nudge it up than just, to commit to an entire extra week of stress because yeah. that, that's a that's a long loading cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I question that at the end of it, he's going to be able to rebound after a single week of recovery. If he's using trainer road workouts, which I'm sure he is, <laughs> um, you could just do a plus one where it just adds 15 minutes. Yeah. You get one extra interval. Mm-hmm. You do that one or two workouts a week. That's a, Chad, wouldn't that be a great way to add a little bit extra volume? Yeah, that's totally. It's probably would be my first recommendation. You know, and something, uh, one of, you know, his next question is asking about adding in more anaerobic work he's wondering if he should sprinkle it in and maybe that's a great way to do it on the anaerobic ones is just to have a workout that just adds maybe one more interval that sort of a thing you Mm -hmm. know because then uh it's i know that i've found that you kind of get a lot of this stuff if you've ever done like a a week of racing like last year i think i did a road race which was largely like really hard vo2 efforts you know really hard i did uh, a criterium and a time trial the time trial was super short all like a bunch of really high intensity work three days in a row. Mm. And then I had a Friday race and a Saturday race as well. So like that was a really packed week, all extremely high intensity, short racing. And it really takes a toll, even for somebody like me that really loves that sort of training. My body readily absorbs it. Mm. It can really take a toll. Interbike week was oh crazy. Yeah. I think the lack of sleep is the hardest part, right? Well, sleeping, yeah. drinking, and raising. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Still reeling. Uh, something that I guess kind of applies to this, and it's a question that we've gotten before and we've talked about before, mm-hmm. is kind of what happens to your body, I guess, in terms of the, how the fitness, the residuals you get mm-hmm. from from this different sort of fitness or different focus you'd get. Yeah. And we broke this down really specifically. I can't remember what the episode number was. We should, we'll, we'll look that yep, up, we'll but I'll touch there. on it really quick. Mm-hmm. I'll just give you a fast rundown of it, but there is a, a more detailed discussion on the matter. Um, so when you're, when you're focusing on one energy system or one type of fitness and you know, you don't want to fully neglect the others that you've worked hard to build, you want to maintain them, but it doesn't take a heck of a lot to maintain them. Mm-hmm. So in the case of your aerobic endurance, if you can get a single ride, a long ride in it, about every two weeks, every 10 to 14 days, that has proven sufficient to maintain your aerobic base, um, with anaerobic work, just one time. And this goes for steady state work, like a sweet spot or threshold repeats. It also goes for sprints, just a one time a week touch up. Yep. So in the case of anaerobic efforts, uh, like a workout that consisted of 30 to 60 second repeats with, you know, adequate recovery in between. Yeah. Um, a couple 20 minute sweet spot repeats would, would t- touch up your muscle endurance. And then just a sprint workout where you're doing, I don't know, five, six, eight sprints, keep them short, 10, 12 seconds tops will touch up the, the elactic system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so these types of fitness don't go away that quickly and they don't take a whole lot to hang on to. Mm. Yeah, which is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode that we were talking Some about- Some dissipate more quickly though. Right, right. Uh, it's episode 140 and we talk about how nice. things kind of last and, and everything else. You can check that out. So I'm going to say, you have this written in here, but anaerobic or aerobic endurance is 30 days. Yeah. So, so you don't take a big hit to any of these energy systems until, you know, they've seen, and it's a range, it's not hard 30 yeah. days. So, so we'll say 30 <laughs> days, 31, yeah. <laughs> <You> are <laughs> slow. <laughs> no, it's like 30 days plus or minus five. So we're talking like a 25 to 35 yeah. day range, but it, it's still a drop off. It's a, right. That's where the, yeah. that's where the biggest drop starts to happen. So mm-hmm. if you can't, if you don't catch it before then it's going to be a lot longer road back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with anaerobic power, it's more like 20 days. With muscle endurance, you know, your steady state, sweet spot threshold stuff, about 15 days in sprints, you got to you gotta stay on those bad boys. It's about yeah. five days and it starts to go away. And that's too where kind of we've talked about sprinting. You don't need to start in November. <laughs> that the yeah. fitness builds quick and it dissipates quick. Yeah, so yeah. you're going to do it at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, producer Nick, can we get this information into the forum? Great. So He's formed, look, look at me, <laughs> forum.trainer.com. Yep. Search for episode 176 and you all this stuff will be in there too. Yep. Absolutely. 
Uh, next one's from Rick. Uh, he says, hope you're well. I'm a very, rec-, he says, very in all caps, recreational cyclist. <laughs> over the past three years, I've spent a couple of months into my cycling. Then life takes over and interest tails off. This year I started well, February through April, but following the birth of my first child, I stepped off the bike once again. Uh, not to be blamed for that at all, Rick. Uh, that's yep. that's common and I, I think I it's admirable it. too as well. So. But it's also okay if you don't. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> Go yeah. and tell people how to live. He says, we're now in July and I've signed up for Trainer Road and I'm determined to improve. Firstly, get back to where I was in April. Uh, or he says, firstly, I'm trying to get back to where I was in April, then push on and see where I can take my fitness to. I have no specific goals beyond this at the present time. Uh, he also mentions that I'm not carrying a great deal of fitness at present and being realistic, I'm carrying too much weight for my six foot two inch frame. He says he's 90, 96 kilograms. So he says, I'm undertaking your sweet spot base phase and have just commenced week three. I note that in a few sessions I have, I've completed so far, there are various prompts to undertake single leg exercises. I have to confess that I've skipped these as when I take my left leg off the pedal, the sessions seem to pause because I'm using a stage's left side power meter and the kicker is my, is my setup. So before we get uh, any further into his question, we should just address that part. You can actually take, uh, you'll get zero power reading for that sort of stuff. And there's no way around it with the stages. Yeah, Cause it's only measuring one side mm-hmm. and actually what the stage does is it doubles one side. Yeah. So when you, it's on the left. So if you do single drag leg on the left, it's going to be double the amount. Yeah. And then if you go single leg on the right, it's going to say zero. Yeah. So you'll get like normal looking wattage, you know, on one side and nothing on the other. Yeah. So and it should be half on one side stages. Mm-hmm. However, it is. now has left, right. Yep. Uh, so that would fix that sort of issue, but that's just, that's just what it is there. Uh, if it is pausing the workouts though, you can take, you can actually, there's a feature in trainer road where you can turn on uh, pause or play workouts with cadence and you could turn that off and it would not pause the workout at least. Yeah. Um, so, so it won't auto pause if your cadence goes to zero. Yep. Exactly. Right. Uh, okay. So he says, to be frank, the sessions are challenging enough at the present and my focus is on completing the efforts. So whilst I'm trying to follow the text, I'm principally focused on the effort. My question is twofold. Do you think I am materially erroneous in my pro in my approach? That is to say, given my beginner status, do you think focusing on the effort is most important or am I being short-sighted? Secondly, when I do get around to following or following these single leg drills, is there a solution to the workout? Not pausing. So we covered that part for yes. you. Um, so let's just cover that part, I guess, uh, the, the main thing here, uh, single leg drills. Yeah. So anytime I have, uh, speed drills or form drills or, um, geez, what else is in there? It just, any of the recommendations I make during the workout text, mm-hmm. those are, those are icing on the cake. So first and foremost, the, the intervals are, are what you're after. And if that means omitting the drills or, you know, turning the text off, whatever that that's do that. I mean, you need the fitness first. We're not trying to build form before fitness. There's the priority is always going to be on making you a capable rider first, and then we'll refine how well you ride your bike later. If we can do it at the same time, great. Yep. But if not, just focus on the quality of the workout. Yeah. The, the intervals, I should say. Now, Nate, you said that, you know, re- when you've been going through these ones that you don't usually do the pedaling drills, you feel like mm-hmm. you've reached a point of proficiency with that sort of thing where it doesn't deliver a whole lot of benefit. Expert. So 10 years ago or 12 or 13 or whatever it was when I was doing Chad's indoor power classes, 12. I was totally doing all of those. Mm-hmm. But now, uh, two, I, I noticed that I think that I'm okay with it is that uh, in a race, I can spin from one 
20 down to 70 and it all feels good. I don't feel like I'm out of my element ever. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's just the the amount of years that I, I I don't, sometimes I do do it and sometimes it's just entertainment, but I really just focus on the power. Yeah. Those are, they're skills that once you build, it's kind of like what we were just talking about that the maintaining them doesn't take a whole heck of a lot. And sometimes it's not required at all. I mean, just the sheer act of riding your bike and doing group rides and racing handles all of that. But if you're a new rider, I absolutely recommend doing it. And if you're a rider who's never done them before, I recommend at least trying it. You might find some form of improvement. And if you can make even the small improvement in how you turn the pedals over one time imagine how that magnifies across thousands and thousands and thousands of revolutions yeah. for me starting it was uh, pedaling at different cadences felt so weird mm. at um, first as at a tra- first yep. from a triathlete yeah. background at first getting like a higher cadence was really hard and then it was weird like once i got used to that then getting to a lower cadence was really yeah. hard yeah. um so try to be more i'm now I feel like I'm more uh, adaptable, like yeah. flexible. Mm-hmm. So I'm conversely, I'm like hungry for more and more drills in the workouts that I have right now. And it's awesome to have them. Trying to retrain movement patterns. Exactly subtly, right. But yeah. I'm very focused on biomechanics and making sure that my knee injuries don't crop up again. Right. So uh, a lot of PT. And then when I'm on the bike, I'm not just pedaling and, and calling it good. And it should be stated that it, right now the training isn't difficult to hit any numbers or anything like that. Right. So I'm not mm-hmm. compromising the hitting my targets, but it's a chief focus actually for me is to make sure that I can hit those different cadence ranges and do so in an efficient and safe manner with my knee. And I'm not, you know, wobbling side to side. There is no instability in my foot or ankle, anything else like that, but it's actually going through checking in my mind, like, are my glutes engaging properly? Can I feel that? Mm-hmm. But right. Like, cause it's impressive to see, you may have it down at 85 RPM, but when you go to 95 RPM, it might go sideways. Like, and you might not even see the issues, but pay attention to how your muscles are actually firing mm-hmm. and feel those contractions. And you may notice that you really pedal sloppily, even though it may not look sloppily, it may be very sloppy once you pick up or drop your cadence. Um, you know, we see so many people once that drops the cadence, you know, they really, they start pedaling with their ears and shoulders, right? They're like, they're throwing their whole entire body into it. Um, and that's something that if you're doing that, especially on a trainer, then it can be pretty tough. So yeah, a trainer, <clears throat> excuse me, a trainer is a really good place to, to practice this sort of thing too. Cause it's r- really no consequence. I mean, doing single leg drills out on the road. Yeah. Don't do that. Eh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're <laughs> really quite adept at them and it could be argued that why would you even do them if you're already and away quite from good cars. at them? Yeah. 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 Rollers. Another thing that I would just say with these pedaling drills, you may think that you have your pedaling drills down when your bike is perfectly stable, but then when you get on rollers, it's fantastic because there's a level of instability there that really requires you to ride with more core engagement as well. And it just refines that the patterns with your legs. So, uh, yeah, that, so stick with them. If you have, or if you feel like you could improve, if you feel like it's fine, you don't need to go, then, you know, sure. Skip them. But the main thing is don't sacrifice the quality of the workout. So, Uh, Carlos, uh, he says, I have a question related to heart rate during sessions like Gould that begins, or he says the begin in the interval set with a high output interval after some minutes, this drops down to little or below threshold. Um, so, or a little below threshold says in the beginning of the interval, my heart rate ramps up as expected. But when power returns to something more manageable, and he says he's, he says that in quotes, and he says he's quoting you with a smiley face. <laughs> you call it manageable. Maybe he disagrees. Yeah. He says, my heart rate stays on a level above what it would if, or what it would be if I were to keep that power output without the initial charge. Also, even doing the belly breathing, I'm not able to bring it down. It just keeps stable at that high beat per minute range. So any thoughts on this? Is this normal or should I be able to drop my heart rate during these intervals where the first part of the set is really hard? 
So, Carlos, that's exactly the the design of the workout. That's exactly what we're after. Mm -hmm. So we're looking to get that initial surge in the heart rate and your oxygen uptake and get you huffing and puffing, ramp up your your heart rate and breathing, which move, you know, linearly together um, and then hold it there. And, And we have better luck and coaches and physiologists have better luck holding it there if they don't just do the bash you over the head three minute, five minute intervals where you just hang on for dear life. And, and, and you're, you know, whether the power and the heart rate and the oxygen uptake are the same the whole time, it just gets harder and harder and harder. And your per- per- perceived exertion just goes through the roof. Yep. So, so the first couple minutes are manageable. The next minute or two is pretty awful. And then it's just a, just a death march over that last minute. And that's, proven to be not the most motivating type of training. People don't want to do that too often. So we find different ways to to get the the uptake up really quickly and then to hold it there without overburdening the muscles with, you know, high acidosis and, and the burn and the fatigue and the demotivation that comes with it. And there are a lot of ways to go about it. And the ones you're describing is, is with the, that hard, hard start where we ramp things up and then we knock things down to a point where you, you can't lower your breathing or heart rate. So we're still getting that, that, that we're still hitting that target of, of the increased oxygen uptake and the you know, later adaptations that will inspire, but without running you into the ground by asking you to stay there mm-hmm. and probably shortchanging the workout because you just can't stay there that long. So that's just one approach. Um, and what we're trying to avoid is that, is it when you do get it up, too quickly and try to stay there. It's just a gradual descent into mm-hmm. into misery. And <laughs> been there. Yeah, we all have. It's yeah. not it's not a fun way to train. No. Effective, yeah, but it's not a workout I want to do again and again and again. Right. Um, then if you rise too slowly and you gradually elevate breathing and heart rate, you get to a point where you you, you just can't push it any higher. You, you've kind of steadily ramped up the fatigue and there's really no room for you to grow. You're, you're never going to hit that mm-hmm. maximal oxygen uptake or get close to it. And you'll miss out on that that particular form of stress. And then there's the intermittents that we do all the time, the short shorts, mm-hmm. where you jack it way up so your breathing and heart rate go up. And then you do a quick rest to kind of remove some of the muscle acidosis, some of the some of the lactate accumulation recirculates. And, and you can do it again and again and again and again. And the whole time you're already at a high heart rate and oxygen uptake, and that just creeps up over it. Yeah. But your you perceived exertion up, right? and your and your you know the, the 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 acidosis has an opportunity to decline in between each of those, and it comes down just to a point where that next little push is manageable, and you think you're just going to die, and then it's over, <laughs> and then you get another little break. But over the course of you know maybe eight minutes of those repeats. You get in you know four minutes worth of work, whereas if you would have tried to tackle that four minutes straight on you wouldn't have spent that much time at that highly elevated state. Isn't there a little bit of too race specificity? Like that where you go hard All and that's like breakaways. And or- a lot of those workouts, and I think he's describing, well, he's describing Ghoul, but there's also race winners. There's hard starts. Those have that effect, but that's not exactly what I'm targeting. More more in that in those cases, I'm targeting exactly that, race specificity. What's it like to go full gas for 30 seconds and then try to settle in at 95%? threshold. There's some, there's a lot of benefit to be derived from that sort of familiarization outside of the physiological adaptations. John, then you're good at that because in the crits, Mm -hmm. you see, that's how you make the, that's how you make it stick a breakaway. Yeah. Pretty much never not won a race without an effort like that. Right. I've never been to a mountain bike race. that didn't start exactly that way. I've never been (laughs) to a mountain bike race that rolled out slowly or a crit or a crit or cycle cross. Yeah. Yep, yeah, they push hard. And also, uh, think for those of you that don't do those races, but you've done a road race, let's say, heck, even like a Grand Fondo, there was a decisive moment 
at some point in that race. Right. And, and this is this kind of, this sort of fitness puts you in the driver's seat a bit and it can be really helpful rather than just being, you know, a passenger along for the ride. It's the opposite thing too, where (laughs) you guys are so fast. This is also where you, if you can do this, you don't get dropped where the the whole, everyone surges and then it stays hard for only like two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then if you can just hang for those two minutes, good. They're just shaking off dead weight. They're saying, you know, that's how you take a, a field of 50 and whittle it down to 40 and then down to 30. It's going to drop down, down to, eventually. Yeah. Like, Nick, can you put a, a picture of Gould and a link into the, the show notes? Yeah. I see. I just went through the show notes. Yeah. Fantastic job, Nick. It's amazing. <laughs> You're actually putting like more stuff than we're talking about. So I again, right I, I, I'll probably mention it more times. Form.trainer.com, episode 176. Nick's cool. nailing it. I'm excited. Yeah. So th- I, I can't stress enough how important I feel for the type of racing that I do, which is, uh, cross-country mountain biking, cyclocross, criteriums, and road races, how important this sort of training is. And and it's and like, I, I know the Chad said, yeah, that's the intent, but for all of us, that's par for the course too. We should say that, that seeing our heart rate not drop down to where we would expect for that normal power output, that's par for the course. So in this case, uh, Carlos, don't worry. It's nothing abnormal. Pretty much in general, don't worry about your heart rate. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. worry about doing the power. Um, and then Chad's worrying about what every, where everything should be. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, I'll take care of the rest. All right. Uh, we're going to rip through two more questions. Sound good. Okay, cool. Uh, this one's from Justin. He says, thanks for the amazing podcast. My wife and I sometimes joke that it's the podcast dedicated to making our son a sleepier baby. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I know how it goes. Um, he says it always helps him nap when we are driving around running errands on the weekends. Uh, he says, I think it's the soothing voices. My wife was a radio talent and promotion major and complimented you all on your articulation and enunciation. Oh, yeah, for oh, us. Thank you very much. Nice. Justin's wife. Very kind. Uh, I hope that your baby is sleeping well. Uh, says, I, they, Justin then says, I have what may be a silly nutrition question. I try to fit my weekend rides in early and don't often have time to eat beforehand. I can already hear coach Chad saying, just wake up earlier, but please hear me out. I know that for shorter rides, less than an hour to an hour and a half, you can typically get away with eating beforehand just as you without, can without. or without, forgive me, without eating beforehand, just as you can with indoor rides. Thanks for the correction guys. Says when getting out for a ride around two and a half hours or more, this of course doesn't work out so well. I usually need to leave very early in the mornings before my son is up and before the summer heat really kicks in. Usually that's just enough time to kit up and get out the door. Do you have any suggestions on what to eat that may be convenient, like bars, chews, or gels, and how to space them out before and during a ride so that I'm not riding without anything in, the, in my system? He says, I do have a gluten allergy, so pick things like toast and English muffins. Quick things, quick things forgive me that are out of the question, or he says quick things like that are out of the question. Uh, he says, I'm willing to admit that I'm carrying a few extra pounds. So I'm sure most people would say don't eat anything. However, based on all the episodes I listened to, this seems possibly counterproductive. Uh, so uh, yeah, I guess, uh, things that you, this is, uh, I guess we could take this a different direction. We could talk about, I guess the, the fasted side, if that's their goal. Yeah. Well, first let's just consider the the type of workout you're doing. Cause if you're just going to go out and log long, slow distance and work at 60, 65%, even 70%, whatever, of uh, your FTP, then you might not need anything. You can get away with a, a quite a long fasted ride. I don't really like to prescribe fasted rides any longer than a couple hours. I think past that you've missed uh, or you've achieved all the benefit you're really going to get anyway. And it just, just like we were talking about with the intervals before, it's kind of a descent into a place. Slog. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it just stops being fun, and it could be argued that it stops being productive too. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to do high intensity work and it's going to last that long, obviously you're going to need to eat something. Mm-hmm. Um, you touched on. You already mentioned the fact that if it's a short ride, hour, ninety minutes, even you can probably get away with it, considering the intervals only compose some of that ninety minutes. And as long as you didn't deplete the night before and you woke up with fully stocked muscle stores, and you can get through quite a lot of quite a lot of work without any food, then it becomes more about your post-workout nutrition. Yep. Um, but as far as these longer rides, assuming there's going to be healthy doses of intensity injected uh, throughout, that's when we, we're going to start talking about, you know, the type of foods. And before we get into specifics, they just, you want high glycemic foods. You don't want things that are going to take a long time to metabolize. Again, depending on the type of workout you're doing. I mean, I don't know if you're going to go out and do mm. threshold repeats and then in which case, maybe it doesn't need to be quite so high glycemic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably you want to stay away, thing, away from things with a ton of fiber and that sort of stuff. Cer- certainly fiber, yeah, certainly yeah. fat, probably, mm-hmm. you know, healthy amounts of protein. A little dose of protein has been shown to, you know, have some, mm-hmm. some benefit. Bacon and eggs and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, so I guess, for sure not. I guess we can run into some suggestions that we have. Nate, you had a great suggestion since yeah, he yeah. has a gluten allergy. How about gluten-free toast? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm tired for toast. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, gluten-free toast and honey. Yeah, yeah, that could work. Uh, yeah, and all- we're talking like just prior to the ride too. So like mm. 10 minutes uh, as you're kitting up, saddling up, I mean, before you head out that door. Get the toaster going. That's a good time. In the U.S., we have uh, we're called Panda Puffs, and I bu- I'm almost positive they're gluten-free, corn-based. That with a banana. Um, Cereal, I can down a bowl of cereal in like 60 seconds. Multiple at times. Box takes about a minute and a half. Yeah, I should have taken photos documenting you at Leadville. That was stunning. Could not believe it. I mean, cereal is usually high glycemic and and low fat, and you can put some fruit on it. Gets Uh, in your blood quick. Exactly. It does. Another one? This is probably... It's, I've done this, but like cinnamon toast crunch and stuff, like you get some of the more sugary kitty cereals, <laughs> yeah. but I feel if I'm doing it right before a ride, yeah. that's the time to do it. My son likes right. cap. I'm a horrible parent and we allow our kid to eat cap and crunch, but cap and okay. crunch right before. Oh, mm. that's, it, that's delicious. That makes it like, <laughs> yeah. you want to just do the ride. And then once you eat it, you get so, um, depressed and like guilty <laughs> that you do not fail your ride. You is is Captain Crunch still like eating a mouthful of razor blades? That stuff used to slice my mouth like it's crazy. Yeah, if you eat too mouth. much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, still the same then. Hasn't yep. changed, okay. Um, it's not fit for human consumption. Yeah, exactly. Uh, gluten-free pancakes could be an option. Um, yeah. I use Birch Benders. Is, uh, you can get them at right? most. Yeah, they, no, have, they have a gluten-free They have version. a gluten-free mix. They have a bunch of different mixes, uh, really good ones, but... As silly as this sounds, I actually picked this up from Fend of the Podcast, Keegan Swenson and Sofia Gomez Vigiafani. They would always, they'd make pancakes and carry them out for their mid-ride food mm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'd have their goo gels, they'd have everything else. Potato they'd have pancakes. pancakes. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for yeah. the, the, the birch benders gluten-free, what you do, and my, my wife's really good at this, you make a whole bunch of pancakes and you put them in the freezer. Yeah. And you can store them for a long time. Then when you take them out, you can just microwave them or toast them depending on how you want the consistency. Yep. So it's it's very it's a quick way to get carbs in the morning. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be riding just like and you want to carry something with you, pancakes are extremely portable. You don't just 
toss into your jersey pocket. I'd usually put it inside a bag. Then you'll have like a sweaty pancake everywhere. That'd be gross. But um, but Would you yeah. put anything on them or just straight pancake? I would just do straight pancake with the Birchbender stuff. It's not uh, particularly sugary, but they have a really good flavor to them. And they're um, they're kind of spongy and chewy, yes. which is kind of fun to eat yeah, rather than no- a regular pancake. You'll notice that some regular pancake mixes are clearly made to be used. Either they're very sugary or they're made to be paired with a lot of maple syrup mm-hmm. or something. Uh, these ones, you can even eat them on their own. And they're good. So Birchbender should be paying us for this sort of stuff. Um, SIS gels. I'd, mm-hmm. They should be paying us too. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Salted strawberry. SI, yeah, it's SIS any, being science and sport. It could be any gel. Totally. But yeah. we like yeah. the- We've found those I ones to work. I disagree. I think the SIS gels and their isotonic formula is, is the way to go. Yeah, we found that they don't screw. That's the only gel I've used that doesn't screw up my stomach. So uh, those ones could be good. Also rice cakes. Uh, this could be really nice too because you could have like a rice cake with uh, uh, Scratch Labs, their their um, portables book. You can get that. Mm-hmm. They have one of them I absolutely love. It's uh, brown sugar. So it's rice, brown sugar, a little bit of egg and a little bit of bacon. Oh, it's delicious. It's like breakfast and a little and a little uh, rice cake. And you can get that. That's easy to eat. That's something that you can cook a bunch of them beforehand. Like on the weekend, we'll usually, if I have a lot of training or racing coming up, we'll make like a full platter of the things and then we'll wrap them all up. So then you can just grab from the fridge, toss it in your pocket and roll. Hmm. Um, that could be another good option too. Uh, and two with the waking up early, I think we only suggest that for big races. Yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. if you're doing for Leadville, I woke up early enough to, cause I wanted to get extra food in, yeah. Yeah. but for workouts, I wouldn't yeah, wake for, up early to try to get extra For most food stuff. My, my advice is simple. It's just preload the night before. Yeah. Yeah. Just make sure you have dinner. Don't do a hard workout and go to bed carb deprived and yeah. then expect to have anything the next day. Um, top off the morning of, that's mm-hmm. you know, like a just prior sort of thing, you know, 30 minutes, 10 minutes, uh, ideally. And then just eat early and often over the course of the ride, depending on the intensity. Yeah. And the one thing that I've found to like, when I was doing fasted rides, I would ride for 60 to 90 minutes without taking something and then just eat like normal thereafter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you're looking to just not, not do the fasted approach and just make sure you have enough fuel for the ride, then, uh, you know, eating somewhat regularly, whether it's every half hour, whether it's whatever it is, but within an hour, you just want to take in enough that you're not depriving yourself too much. So, and you can figure that out with the power meter. It'll tell you how many calories you burn really easy. Uh, and we have an article on that on the blog. I believe you can check that out. So look up nutrition, you'll be able to find a bunch of ones. Um, okay. Uh, Artem, this is the final one. And this one's kind of, uh, toward you, Nate. Um, so we'll, we'll get into this one. He says, dear coaches in the past, past few podcasts, you've gone in great length at how to be a successful support crew with logistics, or he says with logistics being a main part of the conversation, taking care of things based on the racer's behalf, supporting strategies. These are all very interesting episodes, but eventually it drove me to wonder how much well-organized external help actually aids the rider. This means that someone that goes out on their own without a support crew has to fight so much harder. This has always baffled me about road races with domestiques shuttling their key riders, but in the pro field playing a team sport, I could understand this. Outside the pro field, however, it feels extremely unfair to the rest of the competitors. Would Nate have gotten his sub nine belt buckle if not for Jonathan and Chad? It was, or is it really Nate's own result? Not to hate on Nate, we all love him very much, but just posing an objective question. What are your views on the topic? Uh, yes, it's still my result. Thanks yeah. for the podcast, everyone. Like, <laughs> uh, no, you I mean it, it's it's. Uh, did you appeal to get us medals too, Nate? Yeah, exactly. You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so. Leadville is, it's very beneficial to have a support yeah. crew. Yeah, I mean, but, but you kind of have to. Yes. It's kind of its own animal. We were trying to figure out if there actually were aid stations I over s- the. I sent out some questions to some other people. One person said no. 
Another person said, I think so. That there's race I aid stations? So. That there were that there was aid provided at I, Leadville. So there's the neutral, neutral aid stations aid. I saw that, but in the like the the places where the support crews are, I mean there are hundreds of people. Yes. Like it's hundreds. almost a one to one ratio between racers and support. Yeah, actually some people may have more families and mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of folks. So it's not like I go through here and it's everyone else is stopping at the race aid station. Yeah. It's Jonathan Chet. Just the trainer road show. Yeah. Us, you know, yeah. it's like a big party. We, we had minimal support actually compared to many of them. Yeah. We were just a couple guys standing with bottles. People had like whole camps set up and flags that showed their rider where to, you know, look for them. It they was had people stationed at each aid station along the way instead of a rotating group. Yeah. Um, so I think that for big one day amateur races like this, this is par for the course. It's actually, I think it's part of the strategy. Yes. Just like saying, Hey, you have a mechanic. Is that cheating? Cause it's not your own. No, like you should go to a mechanic, especially yep. me and a lot of this stuff, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's <laughs> yeah. part of the checklist of it doing is. it is to have, at least for Leadville is to have a support crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can do it without one. Sure. Um, but man, it would yeah, be extremely hard. How many bottles would you have to get? Yeah, it's true. No, no, I mean, stow them along the course. Or? As long as there's those aid stations at the ones, yeah. you could do it yourself. And I you know they did had to see these aid stations though. Like actually saw them. They I don't know. I them. thought I did, but it could have been a very elaborate setup aid station for like Somebody a group, else. like a That's team. all I found. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I, and I, mean, I wasn't looking for it either. Right. I, we were. Yeah, we yeah. were. <laughs> and you guys didn't see it. No, we never found it. Uh, so maybe if someone informed- There's a ton of people helping, but never neutral. Trainer.com yeah. could put in there. And yeah. I'm not talking about the A stations that there's a Columbine or the last one, I think at St. Kevin's yeah. where um, the support crew is not allowed. Those right. are neutral ones. At the ones where the support crew was allowed, the only neutral support that we saw was from specific brands. Hmm. So there would be like, a, a, I think it was Motion Pro or VeloFix or something had like a mechanics area. Um, and then I think that like, uh, I saw Cliff or, or Goo there, but they were helping their athletes. Well, no, Goo was a sponsor. So, so maybe it yep. was, that was the the neutral one because Goo was the race sponsor. And right. what did they provide? Did, yeah. Well, you probably didn't I, notice. I, that. Right. I, I, yeah. didn't, yeah. I know Yuri Oswald was out on course offering Goos to some people, but once again, the main thing with a lot of those brands is supporting their sponsored athletes on that day mm. because that's the, the main deal. So I, I think it's all part of these big one day races. That's part of it for sure. And if you do choose to race it without a support crew, that's a choice that you would make knowing that you would be at a disadvantage in relation to people with the crew, because that's just the way that game is played. Another part of the sport, uh, bike, like I had a very expensive bike, uh, the S works Epic yeah. and someone's on a thousand dollar bike. Yeah. Is, does Nate have an advantage being on a, yeah. a modern cross country bike? Yes. Yeah. No, no, 1980s bike. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunately not, uh, it's never like just directly fair across the board. Yeah. One man it, has to work more than another. You know it, what I mean? It, it would it. only be unfair if for instance, you guys were in a spot where you weren't allowed to be. Exactly. And no one else could be there. And I was taking advantage over other people there. Yes. But uh, so at Leadville, I think we, what we time it? Three and a half minutes of stops that I had? Somewhere around there? Yeah, total. Uh, I think it was under four. And for with sure. the aid stations, maybe it could have been double that pretty easily. Yeah, I know that for us, it was definitely no longer than a minute each stop. It was, you know, in fact, I'd say it's closer to 30 seconds. Yeah. We could have gone even were faster. A, Chad Brandon and I were a well-oiled machine. You were. So. Yeah, we got better over the course of it too. Yeah. But I'm I'm, I'm just saying it, it wouldn't have been- A so, huge difference. Exactly. So maybe it was twice as long to fill- In terms of time. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, that's just kind of the way those races work. Um, if you're going to do those big long day races, that's part of the race. I would recommend refining that strategy. 
Yep. Um, well, thanks for, for joining us, everybody. Uh, if you're with us on the live stream, uh, joining us from the Trainer Road Forum, uh, stick with us. We're going to look at some of the questions that you all have thrown in the forum this week. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, hop over to the forum and check that out, forum.trainerroad.com. And if you have questions you want to submit for the next podcast, please do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Uh, share the podcast with other cyclists that are like-minded. If you have questions about what we're doing at Trainer Road, want to check out the new calendar, anything else like that, you can go check it out on trainerroad.com. You can shoot our support agents a, a question. If you have questions about features, they're, they're, on, they're on live chat. Plenty of different things. We're all here to help. Uh, so we'll talk to you all next week with a unique episode because I think Nate won't be here with us. Ooh. So I don't know what to do. Be better or worse? <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. It'll be different. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.